let me confirm what you've already suspected. I set up this whole theme so that I could preach another St. Francis sermon. I went on a retreat this fall to Assisi, and to my credit, I have only preached one St. Francis sermon since then. I even waited till my second week in this theme to even mention his name. Such restraint. But today I am gonna preach on Francis no matter what. I knew that, and, and more than that, I was gonna preach on Francis, of course, as a pretext to preach on my favorite subject of all, birds. I was gonna preach on the legend of St. Francis preaching to the birds, an obvious choice. So obvious that I declared it two weeks ago in staff meeting, and I didn't even bother to reread that legend of St. Francis until this Tuesday at which point I realized this was a terrible choice. There is nothing there to preach on. It's not really even a story at all. Francis is walking along, sees a giant flock of birds, and preaches a sermon to them. And the whole point of the sermon is, keep singing. God has given you so much, you should keep singing your song of praise, always and everywhere which at best is boring. Like nothing indicates that the birds had stopped singing or were considering stopping. There was no kind of avian midlife crisis. They're just regular singing birds. At best, it's a patronizing sermon saying like, hey, keep doing what you're doing. What you're doing, that's what you should be doing. And the birds are like, yeah, we, we know, we get it were birds. Except in the actual story, the birds bow to Francis, and then when he makes the sign of the cross over them, they fly up in the air and make a cross in the air. At best, it's like a schmaltzy, Disney movie kind of story. And at worst, this story is an example of what people have started to call toxic positivity. If the sermon say is maybe not actually to those birds, but to us saying like, keep singing, keep praising, always and everywhere you have so much to be grateful for. Jacob, can you like bring me a little bit down in the monitors? I sound very loud to myself. I don't know if you can hear me, but I can hear me too much. <laughs> okay, thank you. If it's that kind of sermon, then it's just like the people who tell us it could be worse or look at the bright side, or positive vibes only. Toxic positivity, positivity, if you don't know, isn't like all positivity. It's just a positivity that, that meets suffering with dismissiveness, that denies our negative feelings, minimizes our difficult experiences. It's, it's optimism that pretends to come from a place of compassion for the person, but really comes from my own discomfort. Because it's easier to say, it'll all be fine, than it is to say, this is really scary. It's easier to say, everything happens for a reason, than it is to say, I don't understand why this is happening. It's easier to say, you've, you've still got so much to sing God's praises for, than it is to say, this is hard, this is awful. 
And Christianity is full of toxic positivity, which maybe you know already. At least the way it's practiced today. Full of inspiring scriptures that you can pull out at the first sign of something negative. In seminary, I did this internship at an intentional community. That's where I met Rob. Rob was one of the other interns, and on the first day... When we were asked to introduce ourselves, Rob shared that he was from Florida and his favorite thing to do was to pick mangoes in the moonlight with his beautiful wife, Julie. And I immediately hated Rob. (laughs) Which probably wasn't fair like at that point, but it became more and more fair over the course of the summer. Because Rob was always serving up that mangoes in the moonlight energy. His life was always swell. His prayers were always prayers of gratitude. And when someone else was hurting or struggling or uncertain, he was always the one ready with an easy word of scripture to correct them. Rejoice in the Lord always. Give thanks in all circumstances, or or our scripture today. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. It wasn't really Rob's fault, of course. He had been taught that this was what it meant to be a Christian, that this is what it looked like to have faith, to stay positive, to project like relentless optimism, to insist that everything was fine or, or it soon would be. Because all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. So if they weren't currently working together for the good for you, have you thought about maybe loving the Lord more? Rob's understanding of Christianity is a popular one. The idea that the faithful person is the one who is always positive, who's always happy. That even when suffering comes along, it doesn't really affect them Because they have God. It's the popular way of imagining the saints, these otherworldly creatures who kind of float above it all, unperturbed, untouched by pain, not really human. The ones who always have the right things to say, the ones who have birds perching on their shoulders, the ones who walk around the world singing songs like that poem that I started our service with, the song that St. Francis wrote, the Canticle of the Creatures, all about brother sun and sister moon. Real, like, mango-picking stuff. That's how I was thinking of Francis when I reread this story of him preaching to the birds. I was thinking of him as one for whom all things worked together for the good, a saint untouched by the world. But then I remembered that I I knew the story of that canticle. I had seen the place where he wrote it. And then I remembered that Francis himself was a singer. And I remembered how much it cost him to keep singing or to find his song again after he lost it. And it changed the way I heard the story. As a teenager, Francis was the farthest thing from that imagined idea of a saint. He was this rich playboy. He loved fine clothes made by, I don't know why I'm pointing to my clothes. These are like (laughs) 
dockers from 15 years ago. He loved fine clothes made with the expensive silks that his father sold. He ran with a rough group, and he was known for practical jokes and bawdy songs that he had sang at the center of these wild parties that they threw. He learned the songs from French troubadours that he met while traveling on his father's work trips, and he brought them home to entertain his rowdy friends. In his late teens, all Francis wanted was to make a name for himself in battle. So when Assisi went to war with the neighboring town of Perugia, Francis and his friends were on the front line. Some died. Others, like Francis, were captured and held for ransom. Francis spent the next six months in a lightless dungeon, starving. While he was in prison there, he contracted malaria and it attacked his body for the rest of his life. When he was finally released, he could barely walk. He spent the next year bedridden in his parents' home. And when his body had recovered somewhat, his spirit remained broken. He had lost all interest in parties, in clothes, in the business he was supposed to be taking over. He was listless, despondent. He had no plans, no desires, and he wasn't yet 22. And then one day, wandering around in the countryside, he ducked into this ruined old church in, and he heard the voice of Jesus calling to him in this broken-down crucifix. And somehow it gave him a sense of purpose. And, and soon other people were drawn to that sense of purpose, of living in poverty and caring for the sick. And then at, at some point... Francis found his voice again, surrounded by these newfound brothers who had come out to the wilderness to live with him. He started to sing. And what he sang was those same body tunes, although he did change the words to be more spiritual now, which is a kind of Rob-like move, but at least the tunes were body. It cost Francis dearly to recover his song. And for me, that changes the story of his bird sermon because it means that, that Francis understands how difficult it is to keep singing or to find that song again once you've lost it. Knowing the context, I, I don't hear Francis telling the birds to, to praise God as a denial of the pain and suffering that life entails, but as a way of making it through knowing that pain and suffering deeply and daily, being in chronic pain himself, Francis is telling the birds, don't lose hold of that song. Don't let go of it. Don't stop singing about life's goodness, not to deny the challenges they may face, but to make sure that those challenges don't swallow all that goodness up. Keep singing about how life is beautiful and sacred and good because otherwise it is too easy to forget. Francis tells the birds to sing not the shallow song of toxic positivity, not the hollow notes of a party song that just kind of float over the surface of life. He reminds them to sing the deep 
and true and tested song that comes from living with pain, with facing despair, with dropping into the silence of hopelessness, and finally coming out on the other side singing. We're not necessarily on the other side, but somewhere in the middle singing. Knowing that story changes the sermon, at least for me. And, and I think it's true of all the scriptures that people just pull out to suggest that the life of faith means always being happy or pretending to be. When Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always, he writes it from a prison cell. And when he tells the church to give thanks in all circumstances, it's only after he's counseled them about their grief over losing other church members. And our scripture today, all things work together for the good, it's, it's actually a hard one to translate. It's not clear what the subject of that sentence in the Greek is. It could be that all things work together for the good, but other translations think maybe God is the subject of that sentence, that God works for good in all things. All things, meaning in the bad things, in the tragic things, in the traumatic things that do happen, even to people who love God. Even in those things, the things that could lead you to despair, the things that take away your song, even in those things, God will find a way to work for good, which doesn't say that God makes those things happen or that those things are good because God finds a way to bring good out of them. It doesn't deny how bad things can get. It only says that even in the hardest moment, even through the worst pain, God is the one who is there singing a line of hope and promise for you. God is singing a love song beneath it that has been tried and tested and will not be silenced. Hold to it. Hum along to it. Even if your voice breaks, even if you can't believe it, even if you can't see it, it can be trusted. On the second floor of that ruined church in the countryside, which is no longer ruined, there is a little balcony where Francis is said to have written the canticle of the creatures, that schmaltzy song. When I was there, it was lined with flower boxes. It's just kind of just big enough for a lounge chair. It looked out onto the valley full of olive trees ready to be harvested and trees starting to show off their fall colors, vineyards that had been picked recently. It was the perfect place to write that schmaltzy song about Sister Moon and Brother Sun. Only Francis, when he wrote it, couldn't probably see any of that. He was dying in his early 40s. And the sisters of San Damiano had set up a cot on that balcony because he wanted to be outside. In addition to his malaria and whatever else was wrong with him, he had contracted trachoma, this painful eye disease that eventually left him blind. But not until 
his brother monks had called in a doctor to perform the prescribed treatment for trachoma in that time, which was to apply hot irons to both sides of your face and then cut open the veins at your temples because, of course, that's how you drain infection away. Not surprisingly, that didn't work. But surprisingly, even after that, Francis could write a verse praising Brother Fire, beautiful and playful and robust and strong. He could lie there on the balcony and write about the beauty of the earth and the sun and the stars and the moon that he could no longer see of the rain and wind that came to chill him, even of sister bodily death, from whom he knew he would not escape. He sang this song all the way to the end, not because he thought everything would be all right, or even because he believed it all happened for a reason, not to deny the suffering that he had done or all the suffering he had worked all his life to alleviate for others. He sang because he had learned to trust that in it all, God was present, working for the good. Through it all, God never stopped singing a song of hope. 